Thank you for listening to the Paradigm Podcast. Paradigm is a young adult ministry that exists to see lives changed by Jesus. For more information about Paradigm, go to ParadigmKC.com. We hope this message is inspiring and life-changing. Thanks for listening. copy God's Word, once you find the book of John, John chapter 14 is where we're going to be at tonight. If you are new to the Bible, the book of John is in the second half of your Bible. We also have like a digital guide that you can walk through, and if you're sitting around somebody with a lanyard, they can help you out, uh, but it's on the YouVersion Bible app, and you can find it there. Anyway, John is going to be like the fourth book of the second half of your Bible or the New Testament. John chapter 14 is where we're going to be at tonight. And I'm so glad that you made the decision to get here tonight, and we are wrapping up this series that we've simply just called Good for My Soul, where we've been talking about all things relationships. We've been talking about singleness. We had this couple, uh, Jordan and Sasha, they came and they got to sing some songs for us and they got to share part of their story. Then we had a guy named Jason, one of my good friends, and he just talked about how to leverage the season of singleness that many of you find yourselves in for the glory of God. And then we got to hear from my wife. We got to hear from me. We got to hear about sex. We got to hear about dating. And tonight I am so excited because we're going to be talking about perhaps one of the most exciting events that you could participate in, and one of the most exciting events that you could go to, and why that event has been something that's been timeless, that is something that is a part of most cultures, and the event that I'm talking about is a wedding. I don't know if you love a good wedding. Anybody love a good wedding? I just love a good wedding. I've been to a lot of good weddings, man. And uh, some of y'all, like, you've been to a wedding. Some of y'all been in, like, some of y'all married here. Some of y'all want to have your own wedding someday. But weddings, I mean, I think most of us know what it's like to be in a wedding. And I don't know what type of weddings you get invited to, but um, I have some people that are really near and dear to me. Um, And one of the people in particular is my brother, my oldest brother, Dustin. And we have this odd connection to the Mahomes family because of him. And so like even recently, you can see him right here. This is my brother playing golf with Patrick and and Kelsey. They're um, in Branson just playing golf. My brother's the guy that's just to Patrick's left right there. Uh, you can see him in all black with the, I think those are like Jordan golf shoes or something cool. Anyway, so he's good friends with Patrick's dad, Pat, and uh, so they get to hang out. So like even, I'm always like, all right, like how, how tired are you and Patrick? You know what I'm saying? Like, like what kind of relationship y'all got? And uh, well, well, they've got a good enough relationship uh, where when Patrick and Brittany were getting married, my brother got an invite. So this is my brother and his wife at their wedding right here. And so you can see, next picture, that's my brother and his wife, Kayla. And you can see at the bottom, Brittany and Patrick's wedding celebration. And I was asking my brother, like, for some more footage. I'm like, you ain't got a picture of, like, the actual wedding? And he's like, bro, they made everybody turn in their cell phones for the wedding. Even Brittany and Patrick had to turn in their cell phones for the wedding. And I was like, well, tell, tell me about the wedding, man. You know, because I, I heard, like, they rented Hawaii. I didn't know that was a thing, but I heard they rented, like, the whole state, you know. And, and uh, he's like, no, they didn't rent Hawaii, but they did rent, like, a $25 million house just for the wedding party. I was like, dang, holler. Anyway, and so they had this amazing wedding. And as you would imagine, I mean, if you were in that status of, you know, money and all that stuff, like, it, it was a really big deal. Like my brother was telling me, like, Justin Timberlake, he had to back out last minute, and he was going to be one of the entertainers. You know? I'm like, JT? And he's like, yeah. And then the Jonas Brothers, they were, they were up, but, but Nick got sick. And so I was like, oh, we just Nick? We just know him first name? You know, that's what, like, you and, you and Nick, y'all tired. You know, anyway, and so it was this incredible wedding. And I think when we hear about the opportunity to participate in a wedding like that, We hear about the opportunity to go to a wedding like that. We just think, wow, man, that's incredible. And weddings, man, they have all the feels, right? And and you think about all the processes that go into weddings. You know, you've got like, you got proposals, you've got 
you've got save the dates, you've got invites, you've got all of the planning, all of the shopping, all the food, all, all of the, the, the friends, all the family. I mean, you've got all of these things coming together. And essentially, in a wedding, you have this incredible electric environment where it just seems like joy is palpable in the place. Like in a wedding, it just seems like, like, like it's one of these thin places. I don't know if you've ever heard that phrase. A, a thin place is a place where heaven collides with earth. And like weddings are like a thin place, like where it's, it's like it seems like all is right at most weddings. And it seems like this is a place that is sacred, that is holy. Even if you don't believe in God, there's still that sense of love and optimism. And this is gonna be the greatest couple ever. And we feel that at weddings. And oftentimes, I'll be, I'll be asking myself, like, why, why do we have things like this? Like weddings, why, why do we have things that are timeless like a wedding? Like, because if you go to other cultures, other cultures make American weddings look JV, y'all. Like when you go to an African wedding or you go to an Indian wedding, like it is, they are turning up for days upon days, y'all. Everyone's showing up, wearing their, I mean, it's amazing when you start looking even at other cultures and the way that they celebrate weddings. And then when you look at the culture that the Bible was written in, man, weddings were a huge deal. Like the whole community got involved. And it was one of these things where everyone had an experience with the wedding that was a positive experience. And weddings were these things that just have spanned throughout the history of time. And I believe that God has given us weddings to teach us about something greater to come. See, God allows us to experience physical things that are meant to help stir up spiritual longings and an expectation and an anticipation of something greater to come. And I don't know if you're familiar with the Bible, but the way that the Bible ends is with a wedding where God as our maker, Jesus as our savior, is united with the church or as the Bible calls the church, his bride. Now, if you're new to the church, the church isn't a building. All right, newsflash. I think sometimes if you grew up like me, you didn't really grow up in a space like this. And so when you think church, you think, oh, steeple, cross, and like that's where, you know, you go when, when you, you struggle in life. But then once you get good, like you good and go back to whatever, and, and the church is, that's the church. You know, like that's where you, you go to the church. But then when you start reading the Bible, here's what you come to find out, that the church isn't a building. The church is a body. What I mean by that is that the church is made up of a collective of all people from every nation, Every tribe, every generation, every, I mean, every time, I mean, the church is meant to be this movement for all people in which the one thing that the church has in common is that they are fired up that Jesus Christ died for their sins, rose from the grave, and they are expecting and anticipating his return. And so the Bible ends with this, this amazing party that's going on in heaven, and the way that it portrays the party, kind of the kickoff to the whole party, is a wedding. And I love this because weddings, we know all about them, and God's saying, just the way you feel fired up about that wedding, listen, there's a greater wedding to come. And so if you're here and you're single, again, you can imagine all of the feels and the expectation and the anticipation. If you're married, you can kind of reflect back upon all of the things that you got to experience in your wedding. Wherever you find yourself, we can all come together and say, man, there's something sacred and special about weddings. And again, tonight we're talking about the wedding of all weddings, where Jesus, the groom, is gonna celebrate with his bride, the church, forever. And I think one of the reasons why God gave us weddings is so that we can anticipate this greater wedding to come at the end of time. If you're taking notes, I've titled this message, The Wedding. The Wedding. And I wanna look in God's word and show you a few things and walk through something like a proposal, 
a preparation process, the party, and then I'm gonna invite every one of you to trust the path that'll get you into the wedding. So Jesus in John chapter 14, he's having a final meal with his guys. And this is kind of like the, the crescendo of a, of a three-year journey that Jesus has been having with his disciples. When Jesus started his ministry, he invited 12 guys to follow him. And I love that Jesus, like he, he, he doesn't go after the elite of the elite of the elite. Jesus finds like the ordinary guys like me, and he just says, hey, come follow me, and I'm gonna use you to change the world because there's nothing extraordinary about you. You're just an ordinary guy that's gonna hit your wagon to an extraordinary God, and we're gonna change the world together. And so Jesus, he invites these 12, and like they're getting to do amazing things. They're getting to hear Jesus teach like front row. They're getting to see Jesus heal people. They're getting to see Jesus rebuke people, correct people. They're getting to see Jesus be compassionate and loving to people, and they get to see and hang out and dap up and eat with Jesus. And then they're thinking, man, this is incredible. We are following the Savior of the world, world, world. <laughs> you know, like they're just like, this is the opportunity of a lifetime. And then Jesus comes to them at this, this supper. They don't know it's the last supper. They just think they're having dinner. And he's like, hey, guys, I've got news for you. I'm about to die. And they're like, well, you know, what, is this a parable? <laughs> you know, like, what are you talking about? You know, like, is this like a, where's the, uh, where's the hook? Where's the allegory? Where's the, I share that with you because, you know, like, where's that at? You know, and, and Jesus is like, no, no, uh, th this isn't, this isn't an allegory. I'm about to die. And you can imagine, like, the, the, the room temperature at that point. Like, what about all the promises, Jesus? What about the kingdom of God coming to earth? What about us being like your, your guys? What about all of that? And Jesus says, this is all a part of the process. And, and he, he even tells them a little bit further, not only am I about to die, but the way this whole thing gets started, he, he says, one of y'all is gonna betray me. And they're, they're like, no, not us, man. We ride or die. Jesus, we your boys. And he says, no, it's true. And then he looks at one of his best friends, a guy named Peter. And Peter was like this, like he was like, Jesus, I'm with you. Come, come hell or high water, I'm with you. And he says, Peter, actually, you're going to deny me. And so like imagine if you're having this, this dinner. And it was, like an, it was like a Thanksgiving meal. It was like an annual celebration that they gathered, gathered together with. They're with like their, their guy that they love, they respect, they revere. They're like, Jesus is our guy. And then Jesus drops this bomb on them. You could imagine the countenance in the room. You could imagine the struggle in the room, like, what does all of this mean? And Jesus looks at them in John 14, 1, and here's what he says to them. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Like, sometimes, I, I don't know if you're ever around somebody and they drop really, really bad news on you, and they're like, but hey, it's going to be okay. You're like, no, it's not going to be okay, all right? Maybe you've been sitting on this news for a while, but we just heard it. And Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. And then he goes on, and he says this, you believe in God? He says, well, believe in me also. What Jesus is doing, he's looking at his guys, and he's beginning to reassure them that the promises that he made to give them new life, to help them become victors, to help them usher in the kingdom of God, all of the promises that you can read about on your own time that Jesus had given them up until this point, he's reassuring them, hey, if you believe in God, you believe in me too, because I am God. And then he, he turns a corner, and here's what he says in, in verse two. He says, my father's house has many rooms. 
So I don't know if you ever read the Bible and, um, and, and you're following Jesus and, and, and like you're reading it and then it's just like he takes a left turn, you know? And you're like, what does that have to do with anything? You, you know, he's like, I'm about to die. Peter, you're going to deny me. One of y'all is going to betray me. Don't let your hearts be troubled because my daddy has a lot of rooms. And you're like, so what, man? What does that have to do with anything, you know? I don't know, that, that's just me. Anyway, like Jesus, he, he turns a corner seemingly, it seems kind of out of nowhere for us, but he says, my father has many rooms, and he says, if that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? So apparently sometime during their dinner, he's told them, hey, I, I'm gonna go prepare a place for you at my father's house. He says in verse three, he says, and if I go prepare a place for you, then I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Now, this seems like a left turn to us because we're like, what does this have to do with anything? But what Jesus is doing is that he is, he's leaning upon common language and a common experience that all of his guys, they would have been tracking with him. Because if you were a, a person from Galilee, that's where Jesus, that's where he found these guys, that's kind of where Jesus grew up. And if you were a person from Galilee, then you would have understood this language really clearly. And what Jesus is saying is that he is leveraging wedding language He's leveraging language that they would have been familiar with to say this, guys, 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 just as a, a groom makes a commitment to his bride, and just like he is under law, it is a law-binding commitment, just like that, that groom, when he proposes and they become a fiancé relationship, and then they've got to separate, and then the groom, he goes and prepares some things, and the bride, she gets ready for some things, and then the wedding happens, just like that happens is the same way our relationship's gonna work. And so Jesus, he, he takes a turn this way, but everyone in the room would have known exactly what he was talking about. They would have said, oh, Jesus is using wedding language to try to explain what's going on and to bring some awareness and some clarity in our minds. If you're taking notes, then I want you to write this down. Point number one is the proposal. The proposal that we know this, that most weddings, and I would bargain to say every wedding, begins with some sort of proposal. And Jesus, what he's doing right here is he's reminding them that he has promised to be with them. He has promised to take care of them. He has promised that I have come to bring you life and life abundantly. He has promised that I am the way. He has promised that I am the good shepherd. He has promised that I am the truth. He has promised these things to them. And he's saying, just like a groom proposes and promises to a bride is the same way that I've made promises to you. Now, back in the day, in Jesus' day, when somebody was arranging a proposal like this, what would happen is that the, the, the young man, you know, when he was like, man, I'm ready to get married, Dad, Dad would be like, all right, what, who, who do you have? You know, and so he'd be like, well, I've been going to Paradigm. I've been listening to this Good For My Soul series. You know what I'm saying? And, 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 then, and so what I did is I started taking notes, and I, and I found, uh, found a girl, and, like, I selected her, and then I observed her, and then I understood some things about and I'm ready to take the leap, you know what I'm saying? if you were here last week anyway. And so he, he said, I found the girl, and the father's like, all right, because back in the day, they would move together in families. And dad, he would say, all right, we, we, we agree with this decision. And then the dad had to pay a price to the bride's family. It's called a dowry. And he had to pay some money, and then what would happen is that on like their proposal, it'd be this public event where the dad would formally pay money for this bride on behalf of his son, and then the son would have a bottle, or excuse me, he would have a cup with wine in it, and then he would hold up the cup, and he would take a sip of that drink, and then he would give it to her, and if she refused the cup, then there was no proposal. 
But if she received the cup and she took a drink too, then the wedding was sure to happen and they were officially engaged. And so what would happen from then is that the groom, he would say, okay, I've got to go to my father's house and prepare a room and I'll come get you when my father says I can come. I don't know if you're seeing what's happening here, but it's their version of exchanging rings. You know, like y'all, y'all know what, we're, what I'm talking about. Like when my wife and I got engaged, you know, I, I like donated a kidney and a lot of plasma and I, and I finally got to save up to buy the rock. Now I didn't buy the million dollar 10 carat rock that my homes bought, you know, Brittany, but you know, I got something, you know what I'm saying? I, I did what I was working with. And, uh, and I got her the ring and then we arranged this big thing. It was amazing. I got down on one knee and I asked her, will you marry me? Now again, at that point, she could have said yes, or she could have said no. Now, guys, pro tip, make sure that you know that you've got like a 99% chance for a yes, all right? Don't, don't go into that deal like, I don't know, I hope she says, you know, like, don't go into that, all right? Make sure, all right, because you, yeah, you can't handle, you can't handle that no, all right? So just, that's a side note. Anyway, and so what would happen is that, again, if she took a drink, if she said yes, then you know, he would go back to her hometown, or he would go back to his hometown, and she would go back to her hometown. And this is what happened with Chelsea and me, that we got engaged, and then that night, she went back, and we had a long-distance relationship. And I remember back in the day, like for us, like one of the worst things was for us to just to have to say goodbye to one another. Like we, we just, we wanted to be with one another. We longed to be with one another. And, and when I was asking her this question, will you marry me? And she said, yes. What she was saying essentially was, Chad, you're the love of my life. What she was saying when she said yes is that she was saying, I'm gonna commit to be yours forever. What she was saying with that yes is, I'm gonna commit to have eyes only for you. When she said yes, she was saying, I'm gonna commit to keep myself pure for you. And when I was asking her that question, I was saying, I am singularly devoted to you. I only have eyes for you. You are like a lily amongst thorns in my eyes. You are like a a, a novel in a sea of magazines. You are, and I just, like I was saying, you are the one that I want to spend the rest of my life with. And this is what it means when we propose. And this is what it meant back in the day, too that when they got into this relationship, Eve was even more sealed and secured than in our cultural context. This was a a covenant that was law binding, that you could not break. And so when you were betrothed, when you were engaged, it was something that you couldn't break. But they had to part ways. And for sometimes, historically, that'd be a year, sometimes even two years. And I remember when Chelsea had to leave, I'm like, hey, don't let your heart be troubled. We'll be together again. And this would have been similar language to that a groom would have used when he uh, proposed to this girl and he, and he had to leave and say, hey, hey, babe, I'm gonna come back for you. Don't let your heart be troubled. I don't know if you're familiar with the main message of the Bible, but it's referred to as the gospel, which literally means just good news. In the gospel, it, it can go like this, that Jesus, he loves the church like a groom loves the bride. And what's crazy to me is when you start thinking about like who qualifies to be a part of the church, well, here's, here's the newsflash. Everyone qualifies to be a part of the church, all right? You don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to sober up. You don't have to get it all together to be a part of the church. That Christianity, it is exclusive, but it is the most inclusive, exclusive organization that you can be a part of because it says all are welcome just the way you are. And that Jesus, he allows dysfunctional addicts, 
porn-addicted people, druggies, warriors, self-righteous, rich people, poor people, black people, white people, all people are a part of the church. And it's incredible to me because I know me. And I think, wow, God, you love me? After all I've done to you? Because I know that I've been adulterous in my lifetime towards God. I know that I, know that I, that, that I wasn't the pick of the litter, so to speak. I, I wasn't a 10 on the scale, you know what I'm saying? But when we read the gospel, it says that Jesus, he loves the world. He loves, he loves people and he wants people to be a part of his family. And it says that Jesus, he loves the church like a groom loves a bride. Now, the reason we know that Jesus loves the church is because the dowry that God the Father had to pay for the church to be Jesus' bride. If you don't know this story, man, the Bible says real clearly, and you've probably heard this before, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever would believe in him wouldn't perish but would have everlasting life that the dowry or the price that was paid so that you and I could be a part of this church, this body of Christ, was the very life of our groom. That Jesus gave everything so that he could propose to you an invitation to have a relationship with you. Listen, Jesus didn't get on a knee to ask you this. He got on a cross and he gave his life so that you would know clearly that you are loved. I was talking with a guy last week and, and I was sharing a message similar to this and I was with a friend of mine and, and he starts saying, man, God loves you, man. He has a plan for your life. And, and this guy, he was, he's at that sweet spot of like God just really working in his life too. And he's like, man, man, you gotta believe this. And I look at the guy and I'm like, hey man, how do you know this isn't just a vibe? Like how do you know we're not just manifesting good feelings your way? Like, how do you know that when we say God has a plan, he loves you, how do you know that that's true? And he's like, man, I have no idea. I said, the only way you can know if love is truly sincere is by the person's actions that are claiming the love towards you. And I said, the reason why we can know that Jesus's love is sincere, the reason why we can say these things to you with integrity here at Mission Taco is because... Jesus gave his life. He died on a cross. And history records that he raised from the grave. And he declared that he is coming back for his bride. And the proposal from Jesus is that I want to give you life. Again, Jesus didn't get on a knee so that you could be his. He got on a cross. And he gave his life so that you and I would have the chance to be his. Listen, your soul is made to be with God. I think some of us are looking to all kinds of other things to try to give us satisfaction, and we think a romantic relationship will do that. We think a work relationship will do that. We think a pleasure relationship will do that. And your soul is meant to be united with God. Your soul does not find rest until it finds rest in God. And so if you want something that is truly good for your soul, then say yes to the invitation to trust Jesus and to enter in a right relationship with him. Have you done that? Have you responded to the invitation to have a relationship with Jesus? 
So again, the Jewish culture, when the proposal, when, when the person offered the cup, um, the proposal wasn't finalized until the, the lady received the cup. And I love this because, it, you know, I think sometimes we have, back in the day, this idea that the groom would have been like, you know, I, I want to I marry this girl, and he takes a drink, and he's like, you drink it, you know, and, and like he forces it on her, you know. And that's, no, the, the biblical culture is a gentleman's culture. And it's just like in our day, like you're not going to shove an engagement ring on her finger and think, we're going to have a great relationship, all right? No, ladies, you're in the driver's seat. And in this culture, the woman was in the driver's seat too. And the reason why I shared that is because Jesus offers an invitation to a loving relationship with him that will last forever. But he doesn't force his love upon you. That he's basically saying, man, I've done everything I know I can do. I've died on a cross. I've lived a sinless life. I created you in your mother's womb. I've done everything I know that I can do, and I've made myself available to you in this time. Will you say yes? Have you done that? How have you responded to the conversation? And again, once you do this in this culture, it's like a legally binding contract. It's a, it's a covenant. And so again, once this would happen and they would take the drink and they would like, all right, we're a fiance now. They, the guy, he would leave and say, hey, don't let your heart be troubled. I'm gonna go prepare an amazing place for you. And this is the language that Jesus is using. And so again, he, he's reassuring his guys. And let's look back at verse two in chapter 14. He says again, my father's house has many rooms. Seems like a left turn to us, but in the culture, not so much. He says, if that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go, if I go to prepare a place for you, I'm gonna come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Point number two, if you're taking notes tonight, you could write this down, the preparation. The preparation. Again, Jesus, he's going to continue to, to borrow familiar customs. And what he's saying, he's like, man, just like a, a groom goes to prepare a room, this is what I'm doing. And so when we look at what, what's being prepared in this culture and in what's Jesus talking about, what he's saying, I'm the groom, I'm about to die on a cross to pay for the dowry of the church, and then I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. And Jesus, like, he's, he's in that preparation. I don't know if you ever think about this, but like, what is Jesus doing? Yeah, I mean, like, what, like that was 2,000 years ago. Why the delay? What's going on? Why is Jesus, what, what's going on? What's he preparing? Well, here's a few things that he's, he's doing. He, he's giving people time that don't have a right relationship with him to have a right relationship with him. The word of God tells us that God is not slow as some consider slow, but he is patient and he's long-suffering because he doesn't want anyone to perish, but he wants all to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That one of the reasons why Jesus is waiting is because he's waiting on some of you to trust him for, with your eternity. That, he's, that he's, he's, he's on a knee asking you, would you, be, would, would you be with me forever so that you don't have to pay for your sin? Another thing that he's doing, the, that, he's, that he's preparing is he's, he's preparing heaven like, I don't, I don't know how this all works, but he's preparing places that are going to be glorious and they're not going to be disappointing. And the other thing that Jesus is waiting on is he's waiting on his father's blessing. Uh, Jesus told us this in Matthew chapter 24, verse 36. He says, about the day or the hour, he says, no one knows. I don't know if you ever watch, like, if you're ever up late at night and you're like, I'm going to channel surf and, or I'm going to, you know, Instagram surf or whatever you're doing, you know, and, and then you find the guy 
that's like, Jesus is going to return, you know, and he's got like a chart or something, you know. I don't know why they all talk like that. He's coming back, you know, and I, I'm like, what's wrong with you, you know? And then like put the chart up and it's like based upon blah, blah, blah. And it's like, it's going to be this day. Like, don't believe that guy. Just unfollow that guy. And like, how did they get paid advertisement? I don't know. You know what I'm saying? And so listen, listen, go Matthew 24, verse 36. And about that day or hour, Jesus said this, no one knows. What part of no one knows that you not understand, you know? And he just says this, not even the angels in heaven. And Jesus says, nor the son. He says, I don't even know which is crazy to me, but here's what he says, but only the Father, but only the Father. Again, in our, in our cultural context, we're like, what is going on here? But to the people he's talking to, they're like, oh yeah, it's just like a wedding. Like, they get it. They're like, yeah, the, 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 the groom, like he, he thinks the room's ready. He's like, is it ready? And the dad's like, you didn't even put a bed in there yet, bro. That ain't ready, you know? He's like, is it ready? He's like, there's not a room. You know, he's like, so, the groom's so fired up. I'm ready to get my bride. I'm ready to get my bride. He's like, dad's like, no, bro, no, no, this is not good. And then when the room gets ready, when the groom's done what he needs to do, he still is waiting on the father's blessing. And when the father says go, he sicks him. You know, he gets after it, right? He goes after it, you know, and he's just excited. And so here's the picture that, that Jesus is waiting for his father to say, you are now blessed to go retrieve your bride. And what's exciting is when you study the Bible and you look at what's happening in history, that all the props and all of the players are in place for Jesus to go retrieve his bride according to what the Bible says needs to happen historically. And so I, I'm, just, I'm just waiting any day. I just think that we're going to hear what the Bible calls a trumpet sound because God the Father has told Jesus, go get your bride. And the question I have for you tonight is this, will you be ready? Will you be ready? If we can look back at history and believe that Jesus was who he said he was, he did what he said he was going to do, what makes you doubt that he's not going to accomplish the last thing he said he was going to do? And that's return for this church. And are you ready? Are you prepared? So that's what Jesus is doing. And the brides in this culture, they would have been preparing as well. And so when she took a drink of that cup and she was like, please don't leave, don't leave. And he's like, I'll write you letters, you know, the book. Anyway, so I'll write you and I'll talk and all that stuff. And, and then she went back and she got her bridesmaids together and they were like, our girl's going to get married, whatever y'all do. Anyway, so she got the girls together. They went dress shopping, but the way that you dressed shop back in the day was that you, you shopped for linens, you shopped for material. And so you would find whatever material that you could afford and that was precious, and then you would go back and you would begin to sew your wedding dress. And so it was this thing that took some time. It was this thing that involved community. And so no doubt what was happening is that this, this bride, what she was preparing is like, I'm gonna go get the dress. I'm gonna get some women in my life to give me some wisdom on how to be a great wife. I'm gonna make sure that I'm pure, I'm gonna be focusing on all of these things and preparing myself so that when my husband comes, when my man comes, I'm gonna be ready, you know, and it's gonna be awesome. And she would be preparing herself. She didn't just sit back and wait idly. She didn't just yawn and think, well, this is not that big of a deal. She didn't just be filled with doubt and think, is he gonna come back, is he gonna love me, is he gonna come back, is he gonna love me, you know. She didn't just stay there, you know. She prepared herself because she had faith that the man that she had committed her life to was going to be faithful to come back and retrieve her. 
So what about you? How are you preparing? Let me give you five things that you need to do in order to prepare for Christ's return. Five things that you need to do. The first thing you need to do to prepare is think about your clothes, all right? Not your, not your physical clothes, but your spiritual clothes. The Bible's gonna say that there are external things that we clothe ourselves with spiritually that we need to be um, uh, focused on. So one of the ways that you can pre- pre- uh, prepare yourself is think, man, how, what, how am I behaving? Uh, Colossians 3 says this, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves. I mean, it's saying this, since God chose you to be his bride, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy. This is what God finds attractive. This is the Lululemon in the kingdom, all right? He says, clothe yourself with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And he says, above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. Uh, the second thing that you need to do in order to prepare yourself for Jesus' return is have the right community. Uh, Jesus tells a story in Matthew chapter 25 about these 10 virgins and like five of them have oil in their lamps or, or batteries in their flashlight, if you want to think of it that way, and five of them, they don't. And so when the groom comes, five of them are ready to be a part of the party and then five of them are like, we're out of oil, we're out of batteries. And, and they're like, well, we're sorry, you need to go shopping. And so they go shopping and then they don't get invited to the party. And basically what Jesus is saying is that you better make sure that you have people in your life that are calling you to stay ready to stay ready. Who are the people you do life with? And are they helping you prepare to meet Jesus? I think sometimes when I look back at my life, I'm like, man, I ran around with some dumb people for too long. Don't look at them. If you're sitting next to them, just blink at me. All right. (laughs) Yeah, I'm just kidding. Anyway, and what I mean by dumb is I don't mean like literally, I mean, some of my guys, but I don't mean like literally. What I mean is I, I had a tendency to run around with people that they, I love them and they weren't bad, but, but they just weren't living on mission they were not living in light of the return of Christ. And so there came a point in my life where I had to change my, my, the guys I ran around with. And that was so hard. And it was one of the hardest decisions that God has honored greatly in my life. Who are the people you're doing life with? You heard earlier about how next steps change your life from the guy that was emceeing tonight. And one of the things, if you heard Noah's story at, at, at greater length, man, one of the things that changed his life was he got into biblical community. And we do this thing every now and again called Group Connect, where you can sign up to be a part of a biblical community. And the Toon Squad that's here tonight, man, that's, that's my guy, the Deuteronomies, you know, whatever they call themselves. And that's my guys. And what they've done, yeah, if you talk to the Toon Squad, ask them, what has community done in your life? And they may be looking like they're goofy, but listen, God is changing those men. And make no mistake, they're not playing games in their life. They're saying, we're going to commit to one another, and we're going to follow after Jesus together. Are we perfect? By no means. But we're now on the path to try to have the right community so that we can be prepared for the return of Christ. And that's the type of people you need in your life. And so the bride, she would have had the right community, the girls that would have been excited, giving her wisdom, helping her stay ready because the groom's coming, the groom's coming. And then she also would have had the right character. So I want you to think about your attitude. Proverbs 10.9 says this, whoever walks in integrity walks securely. Don't you love that? If somebody came up to you and said, hey, we heard about it, we found out, would you be nervous because you're living a double life? Or would you be like, oh, you got nothing to hide? <laughs> heard about what? You know? If the FBI showed up at your house and they searched your safe, would you be worried? <laughs> if you're a man of integrity or a woman of integrity, you have nothing to hide. 
And the bride, she, she should be somebody that's a woman of character. And the next thing that you need to do to prepare yourself is that you need to have composure. Again, the bride, she's not like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Jesus said in John 14, 1, he looked at his guys and said, don't be troubled, guys. If you believe in God, believe in me. Keep your composure, all right? That's what he's saying. Be at peace. I know that this is gonna be difficult, and he says this, but he says, but joy is gonna come. And you take courage and keep your composure and keep your focus upon me. The fifth thing that you need in order to be ready for the return of Christ is you're gonna need confidence, confidence. It says in 1 John 2, 28, and now little children abide in him that when he appears we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. What, what he's saying is he's like, guys, just like a bride is confident that her groom's gonna come, you need to be confident that this groom, that Jesus will return and that you need to have confidence and belief that he's gonna be here. Are you ready? Are you preparing? Notice I didn't ask you, are you prepared? Because prepared insinuates arrival, and none of us have arrived, and you will never arrive, all right? This is all process, and so when you look at a list like that, don't think, oh my gosh, I'm not completely clothed in those things. I don't have the perfect community. I don't have the perfect, it's not about perfection, but it is about preparedness, and it is about progress because you wanna be ready. Like, what if I showed up at my wedding? I got married November 17, coming on 15 years, holler. Anyway, so what if I showed up that day, that Saturday, and I was like, I got my clone, I've been shaved, you know, I got all my stuff, and I'm like, all right, uh, you know, we're about to start at seven, and somebody comes up to me, and they're like, hey, hey, have you seen Chelsea? And I'm like, no, I'm not supposed to see Chelsea, you know, we're trying to wait for the first look and all that stuff, and they're like, well, we haven't seen her either. And then like three minutes till the wedding starts, like, okay, Chelsea just showed up. It's all gonna be okay. And then I get up there and I'm like, here she comes, here she comes. And like she comes down the aisle, just hair crazy, you know, mascara all over her face, wedding dress wrinkled. And she's like, hi, you know. <laughs> and I would be like, what, what are you doing, you know? Like how would that make me feel? That would make me feel unloved, unwanted, and so many other things. And I think I just described how some of you are gonna present yourself when Jesus returns and try to pretend like it's all good, like you've been eagerly waiting for this day for your whole life, and he's not gonna be fooled. How are you preparing? How are you preparing so again, you get the picture, right? In the Jewish wedding, the groom, he's waiting on his dad. He's like, dad, can I go? Can I go? Can I go? And the dad finally says, all right, you go get your bride. And so what he would have done is that he would have got his guys together and he'd be like, guys, it's go time. And so he'd have got his groomsmen together and they would have grabbed something like this. This is a shofar or a horn. And they would have been walking through the streets doing this. The groom is coming! The groom is coming! And then the whole crew in all of the towns, they would have been like, it's a wedding, it's a wedding. And they would have joined them, and like this would have been happening at night. Now, in my neighborhood, if you come blowing a horn at my, in my neighborhood, I may, I may fire one off at you. All right? Be careful, all right? <laughs> but in this culture, everyone would have been like, it's a wedding, you know? They would have got up. They would have been excited. And when the groom arrived to his bride's house, she would have already heard the horns blowing. And she would have already had her girls rush in and say, it's the time. And some girls would have been sleeping in their wedding dress because they knew that their groom, it was customary for him to come and snatch her at night. 
And so they would have been asleep like, is this the night? Is this the night? It's been about a year. He, I know he's got soft hands, but maybe he's building that room, you know? Is this the night? Is this the night? And the, and the girls would have rushed in. They would have gotten it ready. She would have got up, and then they would have brought this seat in, and they would have set the bride in this seat, and men would have hoisted her up, and they would have carried her back to the groom's father's house. In this culture, they refer to this as flying the bride to the father's house. The word of God tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that a trumpet will sound and Jesus will come back to get his bride. And the Bible's borrowing this wedding language. And so you get the picture, man, the bride wakes, she gets ready, she's flown to the father's house. And the only contribution that she makes to this wedding is just getting prepared. That the greatest thing that you could give your life to is to know Jesus Christ and then spend the rest of your life preparing for his return. And when he arrives, that you would be flown to the Father's house and you would kick off this joyful celebration that's referred to as the wedding and the marriage supper of the Lamb of God. It says in Revelation 19, verses six, it says this, then I heard again what sounded like the shout of a vast crowd or the roar of a mighty ocean waves or the crash of loud thunder. And so John is one of Jesus' best friends and he's seeing this vision in Revelation. He says, I hear this super loud sound that says, praise the Lord for the Lord our God, the Almighty, he reigns. He says, let us be glad and rejoice and let us give honor to him for the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb and his bride has prepared herself and she has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear. For the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he added, these are true words that come from God. Point number three, and finally, if you're taking notes, you can write this down, the party, the party. So the culmination of all of heaven, the culmination of time is being depicted as an incredible wedding. It's gonna be a wedding that's for the ages, like when my brother was telling me he's going to go to Patrick Mahomes' wedding, I was like, oh, man, this is amazing. And he's like, yeah, bro, the invitation was crazy. Here's a picture of the invitation right here. So it came in like a, like a, like a body-armored box that like there was like guards with guns. They like showed, I'm just kidding, they didn't do that. But it was a really important, I don't know, you can't really get the full picture, but the box is probably six inches tall. And my brother's wife, she thought that there was like something underneath the invitation. She's like, where's like the watch or the chocolate or something? You know, like it was this huge box just for that sheet of paper, all right? Like it was this glorious invitation. And as amazing as the wedding was and the invitation and all the stuff that they got to do, as amazing as that wedding is, it pales in comparison to a greater wedding to come. And I've got a question, are you invited? If you're thinking, I don't know if I'm invited, I don't, you're invited, all right? Have you responded to the invitation? And I can't answer that for you. But the reality is, is that you are invited. And as incredible as that wedding was that my brother got to go to, again, the heavenly wedding is gonna be so much more amazing. Like the Bible teaches us that Jesus will return for his people, for his bride, and then he will usher us into a place called heaven. And I think sometimes we think, oh, heaven, and we just kind of yawn through the heaven song. We kind of yawn through the heaven sermon. And we're like, what's the big deal? Because we do that oftentimes because our life's pretty good. For the most part, many of you have come in here and life's going pretty good. 
And the thing that begins to stir up the craving of something greater, something more, the thing that begins to stir up the craving of heaven is suffering. And when you come face to face with the brokenness of this world, you begin to say, man, if this is all this world has to offer, I don't want anything in this world. That heaven is going to be full of no mores. You know that? Like heaven's going to be full of, full of a, a, like no more tears is what the Bible says. You imagine a day where you don't have to shed another tear because you hear another heart-wrenching story? Can you imagine a day we don't have to shed another tear because you, you, you don't get the phone call that's like, that's like they took their life? And in heaven, you don't, you, don't have to, you don't hear those things. There's no more tears. Heaven's full of no mores. There's no more pain. We're going through a, a chronic illness in my family. We got news today of a friend of ours that, that has a, a brain tumor. And when you hear those things, you're thinking, man, this world is so broken. But in heaven, there's no more pain. There's no hospitals in heaven. In heaven, there's no more sorrow. In heaven, there's no more separation. In heaven, there's no more death. In heaven, there's no more disease. In heaven, there's no more wars. In heaven, there's no more worries. That heaven is this complete place of restoration. And the Bible says that it's gonna be clad with amazing things that we can't even fathom. Like the guys that are trying to explain it, like the streets are like gold and like the gates are like pearls. And, and I think sometimes we can get really fired up about heaven. Like, man, it's gonna be amazing. But you wanna know the best part about heaven? That's where we're gonna be united with Jesus. That if you're here and you're more fired up about the place of heaven and you're not fired up about the person of heaven, you misunderstand the Bible. That the reason why heaven's gonna be amazing is because that's where we are united perfectly with Jesus. No more struggle. No more apologies. No more, God, would you forgive me for this again? And the reason why we long for heaven is because it's going to be incredible. Like, imagine if, if like the, you know, the, the, the bride, she gets ushered off, she gets flown to the chamber of the father's house and, and she walks in and like the, the groom's sitting there and she's like, oh wow, I love what you've done with the place. She's like, oh, these drapes are amazing. The shiplap is incredible. A fiddly fig, oh honey, thank you. And like she gets more fired up about the room than she does about the groom. And listen, that would be a catastrophe. And if you get to heaven thinking, wow, streets of gold, gates of pearl, we're going to go jet ski and fly over, whatever you think you're going to do, right? And that's amazing. And you miss the one that is central in heaven, then that's a catastrophe. Now, I don't know if you're anything like me, but when it comes to thinking about heaven, there's been times in my life where I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to be there, like if I'm being honest. Like how, like, how do you get to heaven and how can you know that you're there. Like, if the RSVP comes in, how, how do I sign up? You know what I'm saying? And I think sometimes, like, you read the Bible and, like, you'll start, like, reading metaphors and, and you read the teachings of Jesus and he's like, you know, the kingdom of God is like this. And he'll, like, give this illustration about farming or, you know, he'll start talking about weddings. And, and, and sometimes, like, we just think that the people in the Bible are like, oh, wow, yes, that, is, that makes so much sense. The metaphors are helping. Keep the metaphors coming, you know. But then when you, when you actually read the disciples, they're like, he's saying what's Jesus mean by this you know they actually go up to Jesus and like hey man hey Peter wanted me to ask you this <laughs> what does that mean and I love that the Bible has that so Jesus he says hey don't be troubled because I'm gonna go prepare a place for you 
And, and again, in the cultural context, you would have think that and be like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. But that's not what happened. That's not what happens. You see in verse 4, Jesus tells them, clearly says, you know the way to the place where I'm going. And then Thomas is like, um, Jesus, uh, he says in verse 5, Lord, uh, we don't know where you're going. So how, how can we know the way? Like, like, thanks for the wedding metaphor and the groom and the, like, flying the bride. Thanks for all that stuff, but I'm, I'm confused, you know? Like, they're just trying to figure it out, right? And, and I love that we have people like this in the Bible because I'm like that. I'm like, man, Jesus, could you just, could you just bottom line it for me? And so Jesus is like, hey, let, let me make it really clear. Here's what he says in verse 6. Jesus answered them. He says, he says, if you're confused about the way, here's what he says. I am the way. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no man comes to the Father except through me. If you've missed the wedding metaphor, if you've missed even the purpose of this whole series, this isn't so that you can crush in your dating life, all right? We want that to happen. But the ultimate goal is so that you would be united with the one that made your soul. The ultimate goal of this whole series, what is best for your soul, is that you would know Jesus, clearly. And the only way that you can know Jesus is by having submitted your life and confessed him as the leader and the Lord of your life. See, every other world religion will tell you this is the way. Do these things. And only Christianity do you have God saying, I'm the way. So I have a question for you tonight, Paradigm. Have you RSVP'd? <laughs> My brother got that fancy invitation into the mail, you know? And he could have done a few things. He could have like put it to the side and kind of got distracted. And then when, the, when he starts seeing on Instagram, oh, the Mahomes wedding's coming up. Oh, where is that at? Where is that? He, he could have he just said no. Like, like, this is stupid. I don't want to go to Hawaii and rent Hawaii with my home. Story. I don't want to do that. I don't want to play bags with Kelsey and all the guys. And like, he just said it was so chill and all this stuff. Like, I don't want to do any of that. Or he simply could have said yes. What have you done with the invitation to have a relationship with Jesus? Because, listen, you won't be at the party. And you have no reason to prepare if you haven't said yes to the proposal. So, are you going to heaven? And the only way that you can be absolutely sure is if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and asked him to save you. And I pray that you would do that. I want to pray for you right now. If everyone bowed their head, just close your, close your eyes and just kind of think about what we've talked about tonight. Are you going to heaven? If you know Christ, are you preparing for his return? Listen, the gospel is incomplete when we just leave it at the cross. The gospel is incomplete when we leave it at the resurrection. The gospel is only complete when we preach Christ crucified, Christ risen from the grave, Christ ascended to the right hand of the Father, Christ returning for his church. Are you ready for that day? If you're not sure that you're going to heaven, call upon the name of the Lord. Ask him to save you. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for tonight. I pray that you would speak clearly in these moments. 
and that you would help us to respond accordingly so that we can be a part of the biggest celebration in eternity. In Christ's name, amen.